I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello there and welcome Beast Inside members. What you're about to hear is an extra special treat for members only. The Daily Beast is about to launch a brand new podcast called Fever Dreams. Where hosts Aswin Subasang and Will Summer take you inside the right's push to retake power from the conspiracy slingers to the MAGA acolytes to the straight up grifters. If you thought the Trump era was crazy, wait till you hear what they have planned next. This episode is actually a pilot episode, but we're going to let Beast Inside members have a sneak peek at it. If you like what you hear, it's only going to get better from here. So head to your favorite podcast app and search for Fever Dreams. You can subscribe today and listen to new episodes every single Wednesday. Enjoy. Hey guys, this is Aswin Subsang, but please call me Swin, and welcome to The Daily Beast Fever Dreams. Hi, I'm Will Summer. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast, where I dig into all the darkest recesses of American extremism and extremely online militants. I'm currently working on a book about QAnon and its disastrous impact on our society. I'm also a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. I've spent much of my career in journalism covering the intersection of entertainment and politics, which, in the post-Trump era, seems like the only sensible way to cover politics in this big, beautiful, hideously stupid country of ours. On this podcast, we're going to take you on deeply reported plunges into some of the most perversely humorous and sometimes frightening corners of the fanatical elements infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and, in many instances, how they vote. And even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists and online influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. We're here to help you better understand how and why this is happening and who in the halls of power has let it happen. Along the way, we'll also rarely bring on guests with longtime experience in national politics, hard-nosed reporters, and some influential voices from Hollywood and entertainment spheres. Every once in a while, you might also hear from some familiar faces from the trenches of Trump land and veterans of the democratic corridors of power. Dear friend, Will Summer, I gotta confess something to you, man. But before I do, I'm going to open up with a little bit of a revealing and leading question. We've been in this pandemic situation for about a year now. What is the most embarrassing thing that the pandemic has forced you into in recent months? I don't know. I I try to live a life free of embarrassment. Mm -hmm. I Honestly, I feel like I've just been on Reddit a lot more. You know, that's a little boring. I've been... um, Oh, that's an occupational hazard, though. Yeah, I mean, but like really like dumb subreddits. It's like I ended up on the like... I've been eating a ton of like gummy candies. It's just what I'm into right now. But I'm curious to hear what what your indulgence is. Have you signed on to uh, HBO Max yet? Oh, yeah, for sure. Have you noticed that the TV show from the Bush era, I don't think it even made it to the Obama era, the OC is on HBO Max. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I saw your tweets about this. You're a big OC head now. I have not watched it, definitely not regularly since high school, but my wife and I have recently been revisiting it. We've been kind of hopscotching throughout the different uh, four seasons of it. And 
I gotta say, it holds up. I mean, it, it, it was iconic. I remember, I mean, it just really swept through my high school. Uh, I believe you pointed out that uh, this thing on Twitter where it's like, you know, these kids just like all pack pistols. And, you know, I mean, if, if this stuff, like if this stuff happened to actual rich kids in Orange County, we'd get like a Vanity Fair profile of it. <laughs> it's like Fancy Joe sales would be all over it. And it's just like, oh yeah, you know, we're all sleeping with each other's moms and like, you know, shooting each other and, and what have you. And, and, and getting and, into fist fights every weeknight and a car accident every fortnight and like passing out drunk on each other's like front lawns every other weekend at like at bare minimum i it's it's so funny because these are extremely rich extremely white extremely homophobic and extremely mostly like right-wing republican kids in the oc and all that they do is pull guns on each other at parties all the time I do think we're, you know, maybe as a culture, we're heading back to it's kind of like Obama era. I guess that was the Bush era, but I think we're all reaching. Obviously, Gossip Girl's having a big resurgence right now. So, yeah, you know, great. Slip into the warm bath. There's a line in the first season where Summer Roberts is talking about how she has to get into this party because the guy, who I think is Seth's granddad, she refers to him as the Donald Trump of the West, unironically. This is a unique moment in the culture when The Apprentice was, I think, taking off on NBC. Uh, The OC was originally on uh, Fox, where Donald Trump really did rebrand himself as, like, the deals guy, the guy who was actually competent and not a complete joke with bad hair. And it seeped itself into so many aspects of culture and popular culture that it and I mean I'm not trying to say that the OC helped lay the groundwork for everything that would come but it is an example of how popular culture really did in many ways lay the groundwork for Trump and Trumpism's political success because it like it even fooled me when I was a kid gathering around the TV on like Thursday nights tuning into The Apprentice season one with my family because it was appointment viewing I did not know how much of a alleged crook and doofus Donald Trump had been in the decades prior and or the the racism related lawsuit or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I I just didn't know any of that. I was just like, oh, the super famous guy who fires people who who are incompetent and does all the deals and has all the fun. Well, you know, I I, I think we could probably go ahead and blame the OC for the rise of Donald Trump. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like that that Domino's meme where it's like, you know, the little Domino is like millions of Americans find Seth Cohen adorable, and then the big <laughs> one is like five hundred thousand dead. President Trump botches pandemic, um, <laughs> just brutal. Well, hey, Swin, if if, if I could move us, uh, there's something else that's been on my mind. So that is. Is the this guy Greg Kelly, who is the the sort of the Bill O'Reilly or the Sean Hannity of Newsmax, kind of Newsmax's big star, and, and of course Newsmax is this kind of upstart pro-Trump cable network. Um, but Greg Kelly, you know, is not content to stay uh, to stay confined to Newsmax prime time. He's getting into Twitter, and I I'm interested to get your take on this. I think he's deliberately kind of coming off like a bozo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a couple examples. So, you know, he had this segment where he said Biden's dogs looked like trash. He said the dog was like was dirty. And he said the dog needs a bath. And, I, you know, honestly, I, I did bring this for this segment to be like, wow, Greg Kelly, what a doofus. But now I'm, now, obviously, we know the dogs have been shipped back to Delaware um, after one of them bit somebody. I mean, was he on to something? Well, maybe. But also, the guy isn't just purposefully acting like a doofus. I don't think he's uh, he is very in a very calculated, almost ostentatious manner. You can tell he's trying to act and talk, not just 
in a MAGA sort of way, but modeling himself specifically on Donald Trump, the man. Like his lip mannerisms when he's on the air, the way he talks is kind of like, well, you know, the dog, I don't know. I mean, kind of looks dirty to me. And he's like moving his hands like a Trumpian dinosaur, the way the former president used to. So I have no idea. I don't have a portal into his own mind, but it wouldn't surprise me if the line between act and personality, like genuine personality, is starting to blur a little bit to the point where okay, like his mind will immediately, like a knee-jerk reaction, go to the thing that Donald Trump would be pissed off about. And Donald Trump, I don't remember when the last the first family in the United States didn't have a pet of some kind, but obviously uh, Melania and Donald during his presidency did not have a cat, did not have a dog, did not even have a parakeet or something like that. The 45th president of the United States has an intense aversion to a lot of things that make us human. And even if you don't own a pet, one of the things that is a fairly universal value somewhat universal, I should say, um, is that, okay, we like cute, cuddly, adorable things that crave our attention and affection and show loyalty. Dogs do that. And despite the pro-dog, anti-cat propaganda out there, cats do that. So, like, it, it didn't shock me when this guy who constantly tries to channel Donald Trump in his public appearances would bitch about a dog. Yeah, I mean, if that makes no, I think that's right. I mean, I think he, I think you're onto something here with this idea that that he's sort of channeling Donald Trump perhaps more than he knows in a sort of being John Malkovich situation. He's kind of it's sort of feeding into <laughs> it. So obviously, there are these characters who reach mainstream prominence and sort of break out, only being known on Fox News or OAN by getting dunked on a lot. And I think often they it deliberately. Uh, and I think Greg may have sort of given the game a little away a little bit here on Twitter in early February. I mean, this is, of course, the the McFish tweet, which which I guess is not even on, on the menu. So the, listen the to what? this. So, so he like sends this McDonald's tweet. Fish? So he sends, I just went to a McDonald's and there was, and you have to imagine Trumpian punctuation throughout. I just went to a McDonald's and there was no McFish on the menu. When the hell did that happen? Is it permanently banned or is it just my local ma- McDonald's? I demanded to see the manager but they accused me of being a male Karen. So I walked out. <laughs> I mean, this is like the, the this is like these things where it's like like George Takei or uh, like the Iron Shake, where you know that there's like a 25-year-old who's like, <laughs> like this will get us ratioed, Greg. Right. And at the same time, I want to see the fine print on that because I'm sorry, I do not believe he actually did that. Right. Well, and then it's just like he could Google image like a picture of McDonald's. I'm just not buying it. <laughs> okay, since our listeners may not know who the hell this guy is. He is a prominent Newsmax TV host, which is, of course, yet another pro-Trump network that has tried and failed to supplant the Fox empire. He has some degree of access to not just Trump now, but uh, when he was actually the sitting president and leader of the free world. He interviewed, he's interviewed Trump I forget how many times, but he is he's actually spoken to the guy. Donald Trump, for whatever reason, knows who this sycophant is. And well, maybe, you know, a little bit more about his past. I do. He he, he brags on Twitter about being a troop. Is that accurate? Yeah, my understanding was he was in the Marines. I think he's the son of the head of the NYPD, uh, Ray Kelly. But yeah, he used to be like a local TV anchor who was not going around town saying, like, I'm the, the male Karen, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, 
libs are keeping me down. Yeah, I mean, I think this guy, you know, I'm sorry, there is an art to getting to getting to irritating people enough that that normies are tweeting about you. And I think Greg is just doing it in sort of a ham fisted way. So zero out of 10. I'm not triggered. He really does take like being a dumb Marine to a whole different stratosphere. Like I I, I don't know what he did during his uh, time active in the U.S. Armed Forces. I really cannot speak to that. I have not done enough research on that. But I, I'm, can you name a dumber Marine than him? Was John Kelly a Marine? Maybe, maybe John Kelly. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, I guess the, the Q shaman was in the Navy. Sorry, I was going to say the Q wait, shaman. Wait, but, get, uh, get out. Seriously. Like, what do you do in yeah, the Navy? He was kicked out um, because he refused to take the anthrax vaccine. What? Yeah. Wait, why? Because it was like mind control vaccination? Like, what was it? Well, no, it's because it's a violation of his shamanic practice, supposedly. I mean, I, I was watching a video with his sister. So she was doing an interview to get him out of jail and the, the, with an MMA fighter, of course. And uh, and they were talking <laughs> about the, the vaccine. And they were the guy, the guy was like, you know, a guy like that, that guy's just like a good time guy. You can't b- imprison him, which like, is not a, is a legal standard. But, you know. So, I mean, look, aside from his inability to get a fillet a fish or a McFish in the morning. I mean, I, I think Greg Kelly is an interesting character because he's kind of this new crop of right-wing media influencers, and he's 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 sort of the the tip of the spear for Newsmax's attempt to to kind of wiggle in on Fox and, and get some of that audience. That scheme is not going great so far. Uh, I think now that Fox can, you know, the election's over, Fox can retreat back into unreality and talk about Dr. Seuss all day. Uh, I think that 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 kind of Newsmax loses its advantage there, um, and so potentially. So if you're someone like Greg Kelly, I think you're saying um, maybe Newsmax isn't going to be forever. Uh, I'm obviously not going back to local news. What am I going to do? And, you know, basically the most reliable way way of working, I think, as a conservative influencer is is driving liberals absolutely insane. And so I think he's he's kind of building up his uh, his chops for that here. We're seeing a big uptick in vaccine hesitancy uh, on the right. Right, Swin? Yeah. Poll after public opinion poll shows that when these polls come out, it reveals that roughly a third of Republicans in the United States keep saying that even if it were available to me this second, no, I would not take the vaccine. And when you compare that to the amount of liberal vaccine hesitancy in this country, it is immediately dwarfed. Like, there just is no comparison. I'm pretty sure that multiple recent polls show that liberal vaccine hesitancy is somewhere in the single digits. Now, the reason this is kind of funny to me is that anti-vaccine horror shows that we have witnessed in administrations past, including during the Obama era, when you looked at the numbers, there were times when it was pretty evenly divided between liberals and conservatives when they say, yeah, I'm not going to vaccinate my kid. I'm an anti-vaxxer for whatever reason. Maybe I think it causes autism in my child, all this other bullshit. And part of the reason for that was because you had a lot of like culturally liberal individuals in places like California, where it was kind of in vogue and kind of posh to deny giving your child this potentially life-saving vaccine. So it was not a clear-cut partisan thing. Poll after poll in recent weeks has shown that there just is, I mean, you can make a false equivalency if you want to, but it's just a reprehensibly bullshit one to make because there just is no comparison between the sizable number of Republicans who say, yeah, no, we're not going to do it, as compared to their liberal counterparts. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think I think we've been seeing from some of the polling that obviously, uh, you know, minority groups were also uh, vaccine hesitant, but apparently those numbers have been dropping, um, obviously, as the, the vaccine gets uh, more widespread adoption and people see it's not 
not, you know, something to be concerned about. But really, I mean, the, the Republican numbers are really hanging tight. You know, I've been dealing with this uh, with some Republican members of my own family where there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, we'll get it. And it's like, OK, well, are you going to get it? And it's kind of like, uh, you know, a kid lying to you. And it's just very it's like, you know, there's not a plan here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I really think, you know, it's a combination of people who have been convinced for a year that by Trump that the you know pandemic's not that big a deal to begin with. They don't know what they're terrified of Biden, uh, you know, what he's up to. And of course, you know, Donald Trump didn't help this by secretly getting the vaccine in January and not telling anybody. <laughs> Until he was on stage at CPAC. It's like, oh, by the way, I sure, I got my shots and so did Melania. I mean, another perversely hilarious irony of this is that at this point in time, Donald Trump is trying to do two things when it comes to news about the vaccine. He's aggressively trying to take credit for it and is getting increasingly salty by the fact that Biden and the Biden administration are sort of setting themselves up to take credit for these massive vaccination drives when hopefully by the summer this pandemic starts to ebb at least a considerable amount and more and more and more millions of Americans uh, start getting the a couple of shots in their arms. So D- Donald Trump instinctively realizes that that would, for the sitting president, represent a significant accomplishment and a turning point in American history that he deeply wants credit for, including at his speech at CPAC. He repeatedly told the audience to not forget who, at least in his mind, brought America to this point once everybody starts getting vaccinated because he's horrified that he won't get credit for it and that it won't be a part of his legacy. Almost certainly it will not be a part of his legacy when the history books are written, but it's something he clearly can't stand. So that's number one. Number two, he said on stage at CPAC that everybody get your shots, they're safe, they're good, and also give me credit for it. So he's telling his legions of fans, please do it. And also while you're doing it, don't you dare say that Joe Biden or his administration did anything good about this. Give all the kudos to me. And even with that happening, he still cannot get sizable minority of his hardcore fans and these Republican voters and these MAGA heads to sign on to taking the goddamn vaccine. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, these efforts to to sort of reduce the vaccine hesitancy amongst Republicans, I think, are resulting in some kind of hilarious developments. So so I listen to a lot of talk radio, both for my job and for pleasure. The amount of ads they have from the CDC that like they have a cowboy, basically, who's like, like, hey, partner, remember to wear your mask. And, <laughs> and, 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 and so they do it in kind of this Southern voice. And it's like, like, it just makes down like good sense down on the range to you know wash your hands and so now i think we're going to see that transition into you know this kind of this kind of uh the cowboy is going to teach you about vaccines i wonder if i'll do the trick i don't know <laughs> like <laughs> like i look at this point like I, i'm struggling to imagine a scenario that would significantly ratchet these numbers down like do they need clint eastwood and john voigt to start doing psas about it like like what, what else do you need Do- even better. They have Donald Trump. They have Donald Trump out there telling you to go get the goddamn vaccine. And yet these people who politically organize around holding on to virtually every single word he says and thinking what he says, whether it's about the election, whether it's about the economy, whether it's about like raping Mexicans or whatever, they identify themselves and politically define themselves as people who will take what he does and says as the word and the actions of a god emperor. And they can't get it into their skulls that part of that deal should entail taking this vaccine that Trump wants to be so incredibly proud of. I I guess the problem is that 
Trump doesn't really make this his biggest selling. He's too lazy, too incompetent, and too short-sighted and selfish to make this his main thing that could potentially bring some of those vaccine hesitancy numbers on the right down. So part of it's on him. And, and his uh, qualities as a leader. I mean, I think there is this kind of classic Trump thing, right, where he, the, the audience has in their heads that they can sort out when he means something and when he's just doing something as like, oh, I have to say this, right? So I, I think that's exactly what's happening here with the vaccines is that, it, you know, if he was really into vaccines, he'd be putting out these weird press releases he's doing to instead, you know, bash the RNC. He'd be making it about vaccines uh, in the same way that ahead of the riot, you know, he said, you know, we're going to go fight and all this stuff. And he said, oh, by the way, it's going to be very peaceful uh you know and, and of course they they filtered that part out because they knew his heart wasn't in it and that he just felt he sort of had to say that uh you know as a as a legal disclaimer right and i don't want to draw too many false equivalencies here but there is an element to that of any type of political fandom and this is kind of comparing certain oranges with certain apples but when you talk to your average liberal obama fan and ask them about a certain aspect of what he said and did in public including his legacy on drone strikes and uh, the kind of extrajudicial killing that came with it. There is just this metal block where no matter how many times you tell an average liberal citizen in the United States who loves, loves, loves Obama and ask them questions like, would you tolerate this for a moment if George W. Bush did it? Wouldn't it be one of the top things on your mind of why you condemn George Bush when you're talking about the short list of bad things he did? It just will never break through because the cult of personality, in one case Obama's, in one case Trump's, is just too strong. And again, I mean, obviously the cults of personality are different. Trump's has a much higher body count to his name than Obama's does. But you can talk to your average Republican voter who still loves Trump and still loves Ronald Reagan about how much Ronald Reagan was into things like amnesty for immigrants and the undocumented, and it will just never break through. It does not matter. In a way, the sort of the image that people have in the guy of the guy, obviously, does not. uh, There's some dissonance there. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or I prefer Don't you? That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. 
Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. All right. Joining us now is Jared Holt, a resident fellow at the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensics Research Lab, where he tracks far-right extremists. He's also the host of the excellent Shitpost podcast. Jared, welcome to Fever Dreams. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Jared, you've been tracking AFPAC, this sort of bizarre, you know, more racist version of CPAC. Uh, what is that, and, and who's behind it? AFPAC is the vision of a podcaster, a white nationalist, anti-Semitic podcaster named Nicholas Fuentes. He's this young guy. I believe he's 22. He lives on the suburbs of Chicago. And for years, he's been running this podcast called America First. And every night to a live audience of thousands, he's just regurgitating white nationalist talking points and hyperpolarizing this crowd, not only against liberal causes, which would contribute to things that he sees as problems in the nation, like immigration, but also towards the GOP in many cases. Uh, you know, he has felt for years that the GOP has unjustly prevented him from becoming a prominent political figure. So AFPAC is his expression of that. He did it in 2020 at CPAC. That was the first one. And he did it again in 2021. But this time it was a lot bigger. Uh, it was a legit conference room and not just like a, a little hole in the wall hotel. Uh, and he had a sitting member of Congress show up and deliver remarks there, receiving you know practically no pushback for doing so. I know it's Paul Gossar, Gosser, Gosar. It's like Gozer from Ghostbusters. Okay. Paul Ghostbuster spoke at this thing. And I know Paul Ghostbuster can be something of a decrepit lunatic on a lot of things. Like that is a part of the congressional and public record. But even factoring that in, why was he able to get away with doing this? And, and, And just so listeners don't think we're being too harsh, appearing on stage at conference and speaking there as a literal sitting member of Congress. It would be like one of them being asked to and then proudly accepting speaking at a conference hosted by Richard Spencer. You know, I I think the Richard Spencer comparison is actually pretty apt in this moment. People like Fuentes would probably roll their eyes uh, being compared to someone like him. But in the way that what we used to call the alt-right white nationalist movement exists today, Fuentes is kind of the equivalent figurehead uh, individual 
like Richard Spencer was in the past. So to criticize uh, Paul Gosar for speaking at something that was the equivalent of a Richard Spencer event, I think is totally fair. Big million dollar question is why Gosar faced seemingly no pushback for this it was so minimal it was like it was like a pinprick you blink and you miss it 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 was nothing compared to what steve king got over and over and over again for many years since the obama era you know there's probably a few different reasons why we didn't see gosar get the kind of pushback that he did first off he was a huge voice during stop the steal pushing these lies and conspiracy theories about the integrity of the election and to denounce him would be to denounce a message that he was so effective in spreading and that totally aligned with President Trump, uh, with President Trump's message about the integrity of the election. So there, there's like a, they have almost a little bit of uh, skin in the game with Gosar. Also, the theme of CPAC, which was the event that he spoke at the next day, which is you know the major flagship conservative activism conference, uh, was themed "America Uncancelled." So you know by canceling him or disinviting him, a member of Congress, they'd really kind of be stepping in the shit there. But uh, I also think I also think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that, like, I feel like we've just become so desensitized to it. You know, it's it. Uh, I my hunch is that the calculation made was that the pushback from their own side would be more severe than the pushback for not doing it. And, you know, I don't have anything hard to back that up, but that's kind of, that's the vibe I'm getting, if you will. Did the congressman apologize or say, I shouldn't have done this, or I was duped into speaking at this conference? Like anything a normal person would say in the situation like this, even if it was a lie? Well, he, he went on the CPAC stage and like right up top of his appearance, he was like, you know, listen, I don't support immigration, but white racism, that's no good. And he told <laughs> Dave Weigel at the Washington Post later that day that he was talking about Fuentes and some of the remarks that uh, other speakers had made at that conference that uh, he'd spoke at the night prior. But since then, Gosar has seemingly just gone right back to the well. You know, he's tweeting out memes from the AFPAC universe, you know, extended digital universe on the internet, uh, embracing some of the same rhetoric. So, you know, while he kind of did really just total coward's move of like, I, I denounce white racism. And then most of the people in the room are like, what the fuck is he talking about? You know, he, he just moves on and goes right back to it. You know, it's he's had no consequence for it. And by engaging with this, he has this whole pool of activists who believe a lot of what he believes already, but more importantly, are young and energized and engaged digitally. And that's something that the GOP has been hurting and spending millions of dollars trying to cultivate other organizations like TPUSA and Leadership Institute, like building a new generation of young conservatives is incredibly important to the movement. You know, I would expect that Gosar sees this, you know, grouping of frog avatar uh, racist on the internet as something that is ripe for harvesting. You know, Jared, what, what does it mean to, you know, I mean, we're talking, we're talking about Charlottesville people here, right? I mean, when we talk about Nick Fuentes, um, I mean, what does it mean to this movement that they've managed to get, I mean, and, and of course, former Congressman Steve King was there as well, that they've managed to get a, a sitting member of Congress to, to pal around with them. And then, you know, he can then go back to CPAC the next day with, with no, with no punishment. It, it's huge for them. And they've been celebrating it ever since, you know, I've been writing 
about Nick Fuentes and this, you know, specific cluster of white nationalists for a few years now. And I've watched, you know, the podcasts and the shows that are affiliated with this movement for the same amount of time. And something that this movement has always craved, but has never been able to receive in a very tangible way is legitimacy. Fuentes's like number one grievance is feeling that as somebody who is well-spoken, who is admittedly funny at times, who is very technically skilled, that he should be some kind of figure that is being hoisted up by the powers that be in the Republican Party and that he holds views that, you know, conservatives believe but are, t- are too afraid to say. So he he has been frustrated for years, like, I mean, practically his entire existence that he has not received the legitimacy that he feels he deserves. And a sitting member of Congress appearing at his conference, giving a speech and having little to no consequences for doing so is an indicator of that very kind of legitimacy that he's seeking. And given the just absolutely racist, conspiratorial, and anti-Semitic views that he and his cohort hold, that's incredibly dangerous. Can you expand on on CPAC, Nazi symbol gate? I mean, is it true that CPAC is hiding like X-Files level symbology in its stage? Is it true that the shape of the stage resembled a odal rune, which is a old school, like neo-Nazi image. Yeah, kind of. If you want to like ignore part of the stage behind it, that makes it not an odal rune shirt. But like, was this an intentional design? Probably not. I mean, what the fuck? Like most people don't know what the hell an odal rune is. Part, the only time the only time I've seen one in person, I was covering literal neo-Nazis in Arkansas and watched them set one on fire. I, like, I, I don't like if I showed that to anybody walking down the street, they'd be like, I don't get it. What? <laughs> you know, I, and I, I also just like, it, it goes back. So there's this author, uh, John Bronson, he wrote this book called Them, like back at the turn of the century that was really good. And he focuses a lot on the idea of this concept of the room where it happens. And for the CPAC stage to be like this grand covert symbol, there has to be a room where it happens. So we have to imagine that like Matt Schlapp and the organizers of CPAC all huddled together in a conference room one night and were flipping through the uh, anti-defamation leagues like catalog of ancient hate symbols and we're like aha there we have it the stage shape only the this covert uh subconscious imagery will surely express our nazi tendencies and it's like when you think it like when you would you really try to imagine a decision like that being made it just i feel like it becomes so evident how stupid that idea is so like is it the shape yeah kind of vaguely but like it's so stupid man because that got like that got way too much ink the thing about it is if you're talking about cpac and you're trying to dunk on them and try to draw a direct connection between the CPAC, the modern conservative movement, the American conservative union, to fascism or open racism, like blood-curdling racism. Why the fuck are you looking at the shape of the stage? Donald Trump is literally speaking there as the marquee speaker. Yeah, they're like grabbing a me- they're grabbing a megaphone and being like, "We think Trump is the great true leader, and we want to make it harder for black people to vote so that this never happens again and we never lose again." And people are still out here being like, "We have to put on our spy glasses and decode the symbolism of what it's." It's like you're completely missing. You know, you're looking for dog whistles when what's happening is a a fucking cruise ship horn is blasting the windows out of your house. Right. It's like if you really look hard at this old 1970s or 1980s 
video of Suharto in Indonesia, you'll see he's tapping out Morse code on his lapel that says, kill the brutes, kill the brutes. It's like there's a gigantic pile of death squad murdered corpses right in front of you. What the fuck are you doing trying to decode this mystical imagery? Yeah, people are like, oh, well, it's a stage design. That doesn't happen by accident. And I'm like, yes, okay, it does. cool. <laughs> yes, it does. I'll, 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 meet you, I'll meet you out back at Comet Ping Pong because I remember reading the same kind of shit then where they're like, uh, uh, the logo of a restaurant being a pedophile symbol? That's no accident. It's like, yeah, okay, dude, whatever. Like, please <laughs> never talk to me again. I don't know. You know, you're one of the kind of the OGs of this game of uh, following the right. Where's this headed after Trump? What's going to be new? What should we expect over the next couple months? I mean, if we look at the trajectory of the far right, like one of the things that got the far right on so many people's radar, including myself, it was that for the first time in its recent history, it decided that it liked a politician. Like most of the time, these movements are very like adversarial towards the government, towards the state. But then Donald Trump came along and they're like, yeah, fuck it, whatever, dude. We love the government now. FBI, we salute. And then like... <laughs> well, how right. long did that last given the Mueller probe and everything like that? Uh, yeah, that didn't last very long. And then <laughs> as, as Trump like very quickly proved to be just like completely ineffectual. I remember like as soon as Trump started like passing uh, policies supportive of Israel, all the neo-Nazis that had supported him were just like moaning out being like, oh, God damn it. We thought this, this was going to be different. But was it the uh, super racist Christ church shooter who wrote in his stupid goddamn manifesto or whatever that, yeah, Trump is a great symbol for white supremacist identity, but as a political leader, like, what a doofus. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, that was all, all just like a broader sentiment across the extreme right. But as far as where it goes, you know, now that Trump is out in this sort of figurehead that they were, you know, supposed to trust with leading the country towards the type of things that they wanted, you know, now that he's out, I imagine a lot of these groups are going to take a much more adversarial position. And I think that would have happened sooner. I think we would have had more indications and like very clear, visible examples of what that looks like if it hadn't been for the fact that a few hundred of them or a thousand of them had decided to attack the U.S. Capitol and uh, attack democracy itself. A lot of these groups are still kind of huddled down, afraid to kind of show up in public. Uh, Will wrote a great story, uh, I believe, with Kelly uh, while at The Beast about just how like so many of these movements are plagued with paranoia that like every other person is a federal agent and to be frank you know i don't think that's an unwarranted concern right now <laughs> but i'm just saying they might be onto something but it's probably going to be just a little bit more time before we see what this actually is going to look like what it looks like when these guys all go back on offense instead of trying to play defense but as you know the year goes along it gets warmer outside whatever protest movements may happen after the trial of Derek. Chauvin and, you know, other notable whatever instances of, you know, where police had killed uh, unarmed people of color. Like as those trials turn out, we may see some protest movements and that that could be the impetus for some of these groups to go back out into the street. Um, but for now, it's very much like a digital propaganda thing. They are all in on the cat in the hat fucking scandal. <laughs> you know, you know, they're, they're just they're all just kind of like posted up at home right now fight, fighting the culture war.
And now it's time for Fresh Hell, the final segment in which we tell you about one more terrible thing you may have missed this week. I wonder how many of our listeners are fans of the sketch comedy series Mr. Show, the HBO series from the Clinton era. Well, first of all, Will Summer, are you familiar with Mr. Show and are you a Mr. Showite? You know, I kind of, I think I miss Mr. Show. I'm not really like a Gen X guy. I think, um, you know, that, that, that one just sort of passed me by. I, I think I was probably watching cartoons around then. I mean, I had to see it on reruns when I was like at sleepovers with my friends. It would come on in what the dead of night on my comedy centro. <laughs> Sleepovers, we're having fun, and then, you know, you want to watch some TV to go to bed, and you turn on Comedy Central. Fuck you. Shut up. Yeah, so people may love Mr. Show, but do they love the Capitol Riot? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this is why Mr. Show is newly relevant to our current landscape of current affairs. Mr. Show was this show spearheaded and hosted and co-written by uh, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, two comedian actors. David Cross has, of course, gone on to fame in several TV shows and stand-up comedy specials. And Bob Odenkirk, right now, maybe one of the most recognizable things he's in is the Breaking Bad prequel series on AMC called Better Call Saul. Now, decades prior, they hosted this HBO series, I think it was on just for four seasons, called Mr. Show, which was this uh, raunchy, edgy sketch comedy show that was really far ahead of its time in a lot of ways. It, it showed up in so many memes over the years. And there was this actor in it named Jay Johnston, who also co-wrote and co-starred in the show. And he has since moved on to appearing in uh, uh, different comedy ventures. I think he's the voice of this character named Jimmy Pesto in Bob's Burgers, an animated That's series correct. that I regret to inform you, well, I've never seen Bob's Burgers. Is it any good? Yeah, I've seen I've, I've seen a couple episodes of it. Yeah, it's all right. Okay, so what is Jimmy Pesto? What what char- kind of character he's, is he's it? Is he just the, this rich- he's sort of the, the arch nemesis of, but he's the, the evil twin, if you will of uh, of Bob from Bob's Burgers. So he's kind of his foil. He's always scheming against him. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Well, um, I also got to confess, I did not know that much about Jay Johnston's politics before these past few days. But at some point last week, uh, the FBI put out one of their many tweets that they've been putting out recently, asked, trying to crowdsource these photos and stills of these people who took part in the uh, January 6th Capitol Hill riot. One of the tweets shared a photo of this guy who a lot of people started joking immediately, that dude looks a hell of a lot like Jay Johnson from Mr. Show and Pop's Burgers. And this guy who has a significant cult following as a comedian and as an actor, I gotta say, he performed in some of the sketches in Mr. Show that I first think of when I think to myself about how great the show was and how much I still treasure it to this day. He's he, He's been a very talented guy. Um, so people were joking like, oh, isn't it funny how much this guy looks like this Capitol Hill ride? And then as time went on and the days wore on, more and more people on Twitter, including people who claim to be friends of Jay Johnston and like blue checkmark verified comedians and actors like Tim Heidecker, were coming out there and saying, actually, that definitely is Jay Johnston. He's had a lot of personal issues in his life over the years and decades. He has gone full MAGA and they claim that they have heard. And again, I want to reiterate that I don't think any of this has been fully verified yet. They claim they have heard from people very close to Jay that he has said to others that he was there in Washington, D.C. to partake in the events of January 6th. And now the FBI is looking for him. (laughs) 
Wow. I know reporters have contacted his management. They've been silent on it, which raises, I think, a lot of questions. Um, obviously, he hasn't been indicted. I mean, that's not, that's not a good sign. Like, what are you paying your management or your agent for if, like, some dipshit reporter reaches out to you asking, oh, remember that bloody, horrific, notorious riot that happened on Capitol Hill a couple of months ago? Was your client, who has been on TV for a couple of decades, was he part of it? If there's one thing I learned in Entourage, the key part of representation, the baseline, is assuring reporters that your client is not was not part of an insurrection. Right, exactly. Like, you're not getting your money's worth if your fucking agent can't respond no to an email. And they just have <laughs> not said anything. And this guy has gone completely dark. I haven't heard from him or any representative of his. And obviously, innocent until proven guilty, especially if you haven't actually been arrested yet. But this does not look good, especially for guys like me who are praying that someone who, to me, is a beloved comedian and actor did not try to ruthlessly overthrow the U.S. government for the sake of the racist game show host. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just so struck by, you know, people were goofing off on Twitter and they're like, uh-oh, Jay Johnston tried to overthrow the government. And then people look at it a little more and they're like, I mean, maybe? <laughs> Yeah, so Swin, you know, I mean, obviously reunions are hot right now. We're all waiting on the Friends reunion. What do you think the Mr. Show re reunion, how do they address this? And, and, and if possible, do they work Jay into it? Maybe they, the boys bust him out. You know, Bob Odenkirk's got some money now. Okay, he's making a phone call from prison to the rest of the cast and crew of Mr. Show. And then for, as a sign of uh, really investing in national unity, instead of him getting sentenced to however many years in prison, President Joe Biden pardons him. But instead of being grateful, Jay Johnson is so fucking red-pilled that he tries to overthrow Biden's government anyway. And then it ends with everybody in the Mr. Show crew getting sent to a FEMA death camp. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, pop culture, and other overfed and underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at at Will Summer, and Swin is at at Swin, that's S-W-I-N 24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by by Brian Demiglia. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.